Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 110. So how inspired were you by the episode last week with Kat Cole? Well, I happen to know that a lot of you were very, very inspired because I've been getting tons of messages from you telling me this. Many of you have said that you love this month's intention of work in our health because even though it's mid-December and you're wrapping up the year, you're also reflecting on the past year and planning for the coming year. And these conversations on the podcast are really giving you a lot to think about and consider. So let's keep getting inspired together and continue our exploration of work and our health. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Lisa Matam, the CEO and founder of Sahajan Skincare, an evidence-based natural skincare line based on the ancient science of Ayurveda. With Sahajan, Lisa brings together her entrepreneurial background and her knowledge from over 15 years working in and consulting to the pharmaceutical industry to create a skincare collection that since its launch has been featured in Vogue, Paris, Chatelaine, and Forbes, and is distributed in both Canada and the United States through retailers, including the Shopping Channel, the Home Shopping Network, as well as green beauty boutiques, Credo Beauty, and the Detox Market. Fast forward to today, and Sahajan is turning the Ayurvedic beauty category into a global phenomenon through a huge partnership with Marriott International. This past summer of 2023, Sahajan products began being offered at 400 luxury Marriott hotels around the world, including the Ritz-Carlton, the W Hotels, St. Regis, and the JW Marriott brands, making it the first Ayurvedic brand to be offered in room at a global luxury hotel brand. In our conversation, Lisa and I discussed the unique challenges of being the first in a new category because she basically created the category of Ayurvedic skincare and the challenges of being a woman of color in the skincare industry. Lisa also shares how she navigates the delicate balance between staying true to the roots of Ayurveda and Ayurvedic formulations, while also leveraging the advances in technology to create products that combine the best of ancient wisdom and modern science. We also dive into the importance of building intuition as a founder and leader, and we both have a few aha moments applying the golden principle of Ayurveda to business. This is Lisa's second appearance on the podcast. Her first episode is linked in the show notes for you. And this time we get more personal to learn from her journey as an entrepreneur, a founder, and a leader. You know, I connected with Lisa a few years ago over Instagram because I was absolutely obsessed with her products. I absolutely loved the Sahajan skincare line. And since then, she's become a dear friend. And a colleague and a mentor and an advisor, someone I turn to, to just talk about Ayurveda and where it's going in the West and how to educate people more about it. And it's a passion that we both really, really share. 
So it's probably no surprise to all of you that I am a huge fan of Lisa's. And in addition to being a huge fan and obsessed with her skincare line, which most of you already know who listen to this podcast because I talk about the skincare all the time. And so I am so excited to share my conversation with my friend, Lisa Matam, about the importance of resilience and intuition in business as we continue our exploration of work and our health. Hello, Lisa. I am so excited to be here with you today. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. It's so good to see you and it's so good to be back. I know you were here almost a year and a half ago. And so I, I'm just so excited to talk to you and talk about your journey. And we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction than we did the first episode. That'll be linked in the show notes for all the listeners, which was really specifically about Ayurvedic skincare, because you have an Ayurvedic skincare line. <laughs> but today we're going to be talking about actually the topic of December, which is work and our health and talking about your journey as an entrepreneur, as a woman of color in the skincare wellness Ayurveda sort of world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just really excited to hear your perspective and talk with you about this. So I'm going to jump oh. in. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I'm yeah. excited. I have so many questions <laughs> for you. So I think I really want to start with you of just, you know, asking, you know, as a South Asian woman, as a woman of color, what would you say were the unique challenges that you really faced in the early stages of your entrepreneurial journey? Specifically, because I know we've talked about this, of starting with an Ayurvedic brand, skincare brand, mm -hmm. when there was no mm -hmm. such category. Like, didn't exist. I know we've had this conversation. So what was that like? Just wherever you want to start. Oh my gosh. Like such, such an amazing question. Such a big question. You're right. So I started this at a time, which I'm quite grateful, but we were in this Forbes article the other day and they called Sahajan the pioneer in Ayurveda. So the OG. The OG. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was like such a compliment and such a point of validation. But it's, you know, what was it like? It was, I mean, there's such a multifaceted question, right? Because I started this journey really because my daughter, if you remember the story, like my daughter had been playing with my skincare. I was concerned about the ingredients, what they would do to her young, beautiful skin. And then when I, you know, sent her in a direction of like, hey, if you want to play with things, these are you the things you should play with. And they were, they were from India. They were, my parents had brought them. They were Ayurvedic inspired. And so it really sent me on a journey, one, to understand why I felt so like such a gut instinct around this, but also it was a lot about me going clean. Like I wondered like, why had it taken me so long to go clean with my skincare? Because I've always been on this sort of wellness journey. I'm not perfect by any means, but you know, none of us are, but like I was an early adopter to yoga and I was a fitness instructor through like grad school and through my jobs in pharma. And I wasn't late to clean because certainly clean didn't go mainstream for a few more years. But the reason that I'm telling you this part of the story is because when I first entered, I entered really with this belief system of I can convince people that they could get their best skincare, they can get their best skin with a clean product and the solution would be Ayurveda. So now the reason that that's all relevant is then you then enter the clean beauty world, which was in some ways like super trendy, super cool. You know, you know, people like when the Paltrow and Goop were really sort of steering the way. But, and I, you know, and I often say, but not for the grace of, you know, retailers like Credo, who were early leaders in the clean movement, who saw the inspiration behind Sahajan and took us in, you know, 
they really helped us along our mission and our journey. But it was also very telling to me that there were no there were very few founders of color in that space at that time. And it's not a criticism of the other founders. It was one, a little bit about where the space was. And often trends happen in affluence. Trends happen with people who have access to it. And trends sometimes happen by people whose voice can be heard. And so I say that from the perspective of, you know, having me talk about Ayurveda at the time, it certainly changed, might have felt like too thick, if I can use that word, or too far reaching. But if you had a wellness or a holistic influencer or someone who was inspired by a holistic way of living, might have a bigger voice or a bigger capacity. And so one of my first takeaways, and it was, you know, I was at a clean beauty event. And I remember they took a picture of all the founders who were there. And I remember looking around and there was maybe a hundred founders of these clean beauty brands. And I think there were two of us that were founders of color. And so there's so many ways that you can look at that, right? Like the most positive is one, like look at this movement and it's coming together and, and we're present, but are we present in enough voice? Do we have enough capacity? And then if I think of like what my journey looks like, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but years later, so I had been contemplating for years when the right time would be to do our first equity raise. And I remember being in San Francisco, staying at a friend's house who was a friend and who had been involved in many, many big businesses and saying like, oh yeah, I don't know when I'll raise and when the right time will be. And he said to me, and he was saying it as a point of advice. So I feel like I need to put that caveat so so that like if he hears this, it's not that, again, I'm trying to disparage him. But he had said to me, I think you need to go find a white co-founder. And I was like, why? And I was like really taken aback by that. And he was like, and I'm going to tell you why. It's hard in and of itself for women to raise capital. Like we know that. We know that. And this was a few years ago, right? He was like 2% of all venture capital dollars go to women you know, investors, unless you're going very beauty specific, but investors still have so many strong biases against women. The dollars don't go to women as much. Like you're going to face some strong challenges. And then on top of it, nobody's going to relate to you, right? They're going to see you and they're not going to have seen other models of success. And so he was saying it in a way to say like, I want to help you and I want to help you grow. And so here's some really candid and honest advice that I think that you need to help you in that journey. And I remember being taken aback by it and we really engaged. And I was like, look, that's not the reason I'm going to get a co-founder. Like if I'm ever going to get a co-founder, it's because I've found someone who either like compliments where my gap is or, you know, really feeds the journey, but I'm certainly not going to do it because I need to make myself more relatable to someone else. And so, but I think, you know, those, these, these, the realism of doing this, and it certainly changed, you know, now in 2023, we have a whole Ayurvedic category, we have Ayurvedic hair care and hair and makeup. And we've had this whole reckoning in the beauty industry, where we've said, hey, these are both the voices and, and the ingredients and the space that hasn't has been left out, where now we're eking a place for ourselves. And so it isn't just South Asians that are doing that, right? It's we know it's you know, those of Latin heritage. We know it's of those, you know, we know that in the African-American community, like we're starting to see ourselves moving forward. And I think what's incredible is as the presence of all of us is what creates the capacity of all of us. Because if it's one person, me talking about Ayurveda and somebody else talking about, you know, nude lipsticks for women of color and somebody else who's talking about I'm thinking of a of a brand right now that I really love called Nopalera, which is inspired of Mexican heritage. Like if there's only one person speaking about these things, nobody hears our voices. But when we're all there, then all of a sudden we can create 
communities of success, communities of advocacy, all of these things. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's a great point. And thank you for sharing that story about, you know, the early on being told, you know, that you might want to get a co-founder, et cetera. Um, I appreciate you sharing that so honestly. Um, But to your point of, you know, having these voices that like when you have multiple voices versus one, there can be that change that happens right within this industry. Because first of all, wellness is a tough industry. Then you add wellness and skincare. That's even tougher. Like skincare is, is tough. And then you put that in there that you're doing something so innovative, such as Ayurveda, like bringing that into skincare. It's like, you know, triple whammy in a way. And then you're a woman of color as the founder. Like I just, kudos to you for, you know, getting to where you are with this brand. I mean, it's incredible. And then, like you said, in the Forbes article of being called the OG, that's a huge compliment from Forbes, you know. But what I'm thinking about is that, you know, there still has got to be a, a lot of maybe resistance, I don't know, to having women of color founders who are talking about skincare from their heritage, from their cultural backgrounds that have specific formulations and perspectives, et cetera, right? How, how do you sort of manage that? Because I mean, you know, there's an Ayurveda category. I guess my question is kind of multifaceted is that now there's a category for Ayurveda in skincare and there's multiple brands there, you know? Do you feel like anything has changed maybe? Like this idea of multiple voices, right? Mm -hmm. Has it changed at all? I, I think it's changed greatly. I think it's changed greatly. And so, so, you know, it's funny, I hesitated. I don't know if you heard in my voice, I hesitated to tell you that story earlier about someone telling me to get a co-founder. And the reason I did is because it, total true story. But I like when I think back to it, I think like, oh my God, what a crazy thing for somebody to say to you. Super well-intentioned. And so uh, do I think that things have changed? Absolutely. But do I think we have a ways to go? Incredibly. Because we're still sitting here in 2023 and still only 2% of venture capital dollars go to women. And I don't know the stat on how many of those are women of color. And so now all of a sudden the landscape changed. You know, yes, have we created a category? Absolutely. Yes. Can people say the word Ayurveda and is there like accessible Ayurveda and luxury Ayurveda and Ayurvedic hair care and all these things? Absolutely. But in the grand scheme of the beauty industry, I think we're still, we're still navigating our place. And, and, and the reason why I think that's important. So there's a few things. I think the reason why this is important, and you know, I know your passion around Ayurveda and I know mine is I want to be able to share Ayurveda with everybody, right? I want people to be able to access this ancient old world science that happens to be from our heritage so that other people can greatly enjoy it. And so I feel so mission driven around that. But I think where it becomes, I think, challenging is for a few reasons is one is, is I think there's this feeling and, and someone asked this to me before, like, do you think that there can be multiple brands in Ayurveda? Is there a space for that? And I remember saying, like, do we say that of French brands? Like, like how many, like how many gorgeous French brands are there? And now we've seen with Korean beauty, which is an incredible category in beauty, we've seen that there's so many great K-beauty brands. And so I think what's hard is when you're early on in something is, yes, the presence of us is very helpful, but we're still demonstrating to people that this is a category and that this, there are spaces and that there's white space for each of us right? That, you know, our, you know, our positioning or makes us unique is how authentic we are in Ayurveda. And then because I used to work in pharma, 
kind of the clinical rigor. Those, those are kind of our space and that we're at an accessible price point in prestige. You know, we're not target price point or dollar general price point, but for the active that we have, we're as accessible as we can be. And so just like you would in anything else, people have to understand that in a category like this, there is space for all of us to thrive and survive. And then I think the other part is, is, is there's nothing, I have no qualms with other, with people who are, don't have the heritage link to sharing Ayurveda. I think, I think it's meant for everybody. I think if you study it, it's meant to be yours. I think what's hard is when uh, people, when you see brands that, I don't know, I can't think of a great way to say it, but like take some turmeric and throw it into a cleanser and say like, this is our Ayurveda cleanser. Because what it lacks is the context. What it lacks is the cultural appreciation, but it also lacks an appreciation of the science. Like it would be really awful for me to take an ingredient that you know, exists in traditional Chinese medicine. And for me to say, oh, this is now our TCM inspired, whatever, it wouldn't, wouldn't be fair and it wouldn't be appropriate because it wouldn't have the context to be able to do that. And so I think, you know, for those of us who are really navigating this authentically, it's understanding that stuff is going to happen, but it's like, how do we get our authenticity and how do we get the story told? I think what I struggle with is I remember once listening to a podcast and in the podcast, the person who was speaking was talking about ashwagandha, which is a great herb and people take ashwagandha for a number of reasons. It's called often referred to as the Indian ginseng. It's great for your immunity. It's also great if you have anxiety. Um, but I heard someone, you know, a very prominent beauty person talk about ashwagandha and not pronounce it correctly, which, you know, I don't pronounce things perfectly either, but also say like, I don't know where that's from. It's from India. Is it from Egypt? And when you hear that as someone who that's so rooted in your culture, it's, it's hard to hear. And also because that person has a much bigger platform than I do. And so they have the capacity to really, in just as, you know, those of us in the South Asian community as, as creators are like really creating the category, they have an ability to really reach back and say, Hey, I, I love, I love Ayurveda and I love this ingredient. And so let me reach back and talk about it in its most, you know, phenomenal way. Because when I do that, I actually validate it for the whole category. Yeah, because you have those, if you have those ingredients in your products and someone heard that, they're like, oh, let me look for some products that have ashwagandha in it for my skin because I heard about it. And then they discover Ayurveda and the Ayurveda brand. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up that, you know, taking these ingredients or even these formulations out of context and adding it to, you know, another line that is actually not Ayurvedic. And might just, it might be a clean brand, but then just like, oh, you know, now we have a product with turmeric or with, you know, trifla or whatever it is and saying we have an Ayurvedic product now, right? That's, that's gotta be a tough one. And I'm sure, you know, how that has probably been happening to you because, especially because now Ayurveda is a category, right? And people are seeing that there's something, something there. There's like something there, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, and it's amazing, right? Because you'll, because I'm sure you've seen this, like there's people who like, not just in skincare, but now have like Ayurvedic drinks and I, and it's amazing. Right. And I think it's just, we have to be careful. Is it Ayurvedic inspired? Like, you know, someone asked me recently, like, what makes your products Ayurvedic? And I was like, that's a great question. And I think we have to ask ourselves that question every day, you know, so that we're being really authentic. And 
Part of it is that we work with Ayurvedic practitioners on the formulas. Part of it is the inspiration in which it's drawn. But like, is this the same formula that you're going to get if you were to go see an Ayurvedic doctor and they prepared it for you? Absolutely not, right? Like we've modernized it and we've made it so it can go on a shelf for you. But respecting the traditions and the blends. And I think I think we need to just be cognizant of is like, again, this is for everyone and everyone can leverage it. But it, it's that idea of being able to create the context and the connection to it. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think maybe what the next question would be, well, then, you know, how do you, as an Ayurvedic brand, then sort of navigate the fact that you do have these active ingredients that are from our culture, from a healing science of Ayurveda. They're used in specific ways for specific things. And then how do you marry that with sort of the science and making claims about their effectiveness? Like that's got to be a really interesting place to be in because you're not cosmeceutical, right? You're in a different, in a different category. And, and I know all this because I used to have a medical spa many, many years, you know, many, you know, eons ago, but so I kind of know a little bit about this, but that's got to be kind of an interesting place to be. It is. And I think, you know, I used to work in pharma, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it was really important to me that we, we walked like a straight line on some of these things in terms of, so I'll give you an example. Amla is an incredible ingredient. It's great for your skin. It's great for your hair. In Ayurveda, Amla is believed to also help to prevent grace. I I'm not saying that the data doesn't exist. I haven't seen it yet. And so I'm also saying I also haven't spent the last year looking, but when I first engaged in this and we looked at all the data, it was it was wasn't fully proven, I'll say it that way. And that doesn't mean that time tested doesn't make it proven. That doesn't mean that the old world science doesn't prove itself out. But one of the things that was really important to me was that we have the data and the claims and all of those things to be able to demonstrate to people because we're all you know, we're people who like to see the science by nature, right? Like I always remember the first time I saw, it was like Time Magazine. There was someone like standing, you know, sitting cross-legged, ready to meditate. And it talked about the benefits of meditation. And when you open the article, it was data. It was like, well, not, you know, people, you know, this happens to people with anxiety or this is how it helps your sleep, or this is how it helps your performance, or this is how, and at the end of the day, then you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to give this meditation thing a try because it's been demonstrated to work. And so it was really important to me that if we're going to say something, that we'll be able to say it in a confident way that people can say, okay, I've never heard of Amla. This is why I think it's going to work. So we can talk about its capability for the hair, what it does. But I do, I am conscientious of the fact that we don't make some of the claims that are inherent to Ayurveda because I want people to be able to not just hear it from me and believe, I want them to see it and believe. And I think, you know, what's incredible is, is people are not just in skincare, but starting to see the wide benefit of Ayurveda. So now we're also getting the science to back these things up. I think about an ingredient like Gotukola or Brahmi, which is Ayurveda's collagen stimulator, right? It's, it's been shown in wound healing. It's, you know, sometimes used in non, like not Ayurvedic, like in just general over-the-counter products because of its ability in wound healing. And so now we're seeing both cosmetics and science dedicate more dollars to it. And so what I'm excited about is that we are going to be able to do that. We are going to be able to see more and more data come out to support what time has shown us to be true. Right. And so, you know, how have you really employed strategies to be able to sort of straddle all of these different things? Like, you know, being an entrepreneur, a woman of color in 
an industry where you basically created the category. Plus you have pharma background. So you're using these ingredients that are active ingredients that are coming from another culture. I mean, there's so many, like almost things that like you had to deal with that could have been major barriers to entry, barriers to you sitting here talking to me about a brand that is growing and growing and growing, right? How, how did you navigate that, you know, in this journey? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it's a hard one, right? It's such a big question because, so I'll just step back from the question and even just get to like, I saw something today and I wish I could tell you who the founder was. It was an Asian man and someone that was interviewing him and saying like, if you could start this company over again. And he actually stopped him and he said, I wouldn't do it. And the, <laughs> it was, what are you talking about? Because the the founder was like, I think a, the founder of quite a large, large, large company. And he said, if I had known the mental health challenges, if I had known the shame I would feel sometimes, if I had known the emotional struggle I would have, if I would known what it would have taken out of me, I wouldn't have done it. And so it's an interesting thing because I'm in an industry where just today was on Instagram and saw another fellow founder announced she was closing her business. And I could completely understand. She said, after seven years in business and COVID and rising costs and cost of acquisition, she said, you know, we can no longer do this. And so I think being an entrepreneur is hard in and of itself. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter anything else. I think taking that leap, again, like I'm conscious, like I'm not saying other things are easier. I'm just saying like, very hard. And it takes an extreme toll on your health and your mental health. And it takes a very, a very certain kind of personality to wake up in the morning and go, things could go awesome today or things could go off, you know, or things can go off the rail and then they could be amazing all in the same day. And, and I'm the ultimate person who's responsible for that. And so I think that being an entrepreneur is hard. And then when you layer in some of the other things, so you know, it's interesting. And um, when you think of cultural context, there's, there's so many different things because there's uh, even like, I was very conscious when I had this idea, I didn't launch the brand till over two years ago after I had the idea, because I had the idea. I was nine months pregnant. I, I had my second, as you know, and then he like, you know, God bless him. I remember coming to my first meeting, like into, like, I think I was like seven weeks postpartum meeting with a chemist to start talking about the idea. And I didn't share it with a lot of people. I actually shared it with very few people. I didn't share it with my parents. I didn't share it with a lot of people because one, I didn't want to hear naysayers. I didn't want to hear no. Even from the people who love you, it's a big leap, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you're going to give up you know, your livelihood when, by the way, you've just got a little baby beside you and you've got another child. And I didn't want to hear the no. There's the context of, and you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but like, I think I was worried, you know, I grew up in a, what will people think kind of environment. So it's like, okay, you've left this big job in pharma. You've left this corporate career. You've left something that's very secure to do what? To sell Ayurveda, except even for South Asians, you know, they were like, sell Ayurveda. Like who's going to buy? I remember my mom, when I finally told her, she was like, nobody's going to buy Ayurveda. Like, like in her mind, she couldn't even grasp. It's interesting because the majority of our customer base, we have a strong South Asian customer base, but the majority of our customer base, interestingly, isn't South Asian. And I, my mom could not even get her around the fact that someone who wasn't South Asian would take the time and would be interested and compelled to buy something that had this Indian heritage component. Because for her, she moved here in the 60s when like she ate a sandwich every day at work because she certainly didn't want her food to smell when she was at work. And she certainly, you know, so for her, she was like, why are you out? 
you know, nobody's going to want to buy this and why would you try selling it? And so, you know, there's, there was the element of becoming an entrepreneur where I, I felt like, oh my gosh, even from like the way I was raised and the cultural expectations that were on me and the expectations that maybe I, in the things I was holding on to from being raised was worried people would say about me and think about me that I really held on to. And then you kind of realize that nobody's paying attention to you, but, but you know, like I was worried about that and that kind of holds you back. There's the expectation I have of myself as a new mom. So like, what are they, what am I, you know, what am I sacrificing for them? If I, you know, chosen a path that maybe was more stable and certainly more financially stable. And it's interesting, like I'll tell you, so, you know, just recently, it was two weeks ago, I was at my daughter's soccer game and, you know, sometimes you talk to people and I talked to some of the soccer moms about what I'm up to. And one of the dads was there. And so the mom had introduced me and I hope he just, I hope they don't listen to this. I might be offended, but is that he was asking me about my business and he said something like, oh, so you're finally going to move it from being like a side business to a real business. And I was like, wow. Right. Like, wow. And I thought to myself, and I actually didn't say anything. And part of it was because I was really tired. And I was like, I don't know that I have it in me to engage this. And part of me was like, you know what? You don't have to fight every, you know, like not everything is worth the big thing. But I remember thinking to myself afterwards, so when we start to layer in the things, like if I wasn't a woman, would he have said that to me that way? Like if, if, if he was talking to another one of the dads, and they were talking about, oh, this, you know, because it was like a very casual conversation about like, this is where I want to take the business next. Would you have actually said, hey, dude, are you finally going to make it a real business? Like, no way. Even when I told my husband the story, he was like, why do you let people say that stuff to you? I was like, well, it's not that I'm letting him put me down. It was more like standing on the edge of the soccer field and I just couldn't be bothered to be, not couldn't be bothered, but I didn't feel the energy inside of me to say what maybe wanted to, or some of the things I now may, might have, but like, so there's that extra layer, right? And it isn't just men who think that, like I've had so many women over the years who've said to me like, oh my God, I'm so inspired by what you do. Cause you must've done that so that you could have balance with your kids. And I was like, oh my God, if you want to have balance with your kids, like this is not, this is not, this is not the thing. And my kids are awesome. And I've enrolled them on the journey, but like, you know, two weeks ago, Sir John, Beyonce's makeup artist, had come to Toronto and I still have a pretty lean team and he was doing a big event and we, you know, we participated in the gift bag opportunity, but we wanted to give these cards with a code so people could repurchase if they loved it. But you actually had to handwrite the code 400 times and I brought them home, assigned it to my kids as homework. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. You're going to write Sir John 400 times. It was great for my son's penmanship. <laughs> but like, if you want balance, that's not yeah. a choice. And so you don't realize the biases and it, so it goes across the genders that people have when they see what you're doing, right? They just assume it's something you're doing on the side. It's a side hustle. It's something that you're doing so that you have a project while your kids are at school. There are so many layers of challenges that laced into it. And part of the reason if I look back and say like, why didn't I engage that guy? Because if I engaged every single person who had a bias against me, I think I would be riled up all the time yeah. and it wouldn't be good for my nervous system. Yeah. Like I'd be acting all the time. Yeah. You know what? A couple of things are coming up for me. First of all, I so resonate with everything you said, because I will tell you that I felt all of these exact same emotions when I decided that I was going to go into Ayurveda and leave Western medicine, which I had, how many years did I study? How much money did I spend on my education? My parents were like, what are you talking about? Like, 
who's going to do that? You know, the exact same thing. Because when you're one of the first people to do something like that, which I was, it's like, the hell are you doing? You know? And the other part of like, people still will say to me like, oh, that was so brave of you. It's men, it's women, it's women who are white, men who are white, women of color, South Asia. I mean, it's everybody who says it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like like, everyone will still ask me those questions. So there's so many biases. But again, what I always think about is if it was one of the white men who are in the field of, of integrative medicine, I wonder how many people are asking them that question, right? Because if I was standing next to one of them, and I'm not going to name them, you know, who get all the huge ass book deals and like are all over the place and they've worked hard and they're amazing people and done lots of research, but they do get all the airtime, right? And so everybody knows them and associates integrative medicine, longevity medicine, you know, Ayurveda, whatever it is with those people. And so then if you're doing it, even if you're one of the OGs, it's still these internal biases that people have. And so how do you deal with that? Because that could be the thing that just shuts you down as an entrepreneur. Because in many ways, I'm an entrepreneur too, doing what I'm doing in education with Ayurveda, right? How do you keep going? How did you, how did you keep going? I think, you know, it's interesting because I think that, and, and so it says a bit about my psyche that I didn't tell people that I was working on the brand before I launched it because I wasn't, because I was worried about it. And I was then worried about it more from the context of like, are you crazy? Do you really think this is going to work? I remember one of my dear friends, when I finally started opening up, it was like two weeks before launch. I was like, I should probably tell people that this is what I'm up to. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of my girlfriends was like, really? Like, Lisa, you really think that like this brand is going to sit next to an Estee Lauder brand one day on a shelf. And I was like, a hundred percent, like I wouldn't start this if I didn't believe that. <laughs> did I know how hard that would be? No, but, but I did believe it. And, and so I think part of it is, is picking and choosing when you want to engage those biases and when you don't, because for me, as I said, if I engaged every time, I think I would be so much more destroyed internally than motivated because Whereas instead, I get motivated. I get motivated by you. I get motivated by, like when when that Forbes piece came out and called us the pioneer. I was like, oh my gosh, like what an incredible accolade I get. I get motivated when I realize, you know, that there are so many people who buy our products, and I'm like, they take a chance. They're almost taking a chance on me every day when they do that, right? And so, I think it's really important to be able to balance those things. And I think it's also really important to acknowledge that they exist, because I think if someone says I went to a dinner once and there was, uh, it was not just beauty, but there was another founder of color there. And he said, never experienced bias. And everyone sort of looked at him across the table and he was like, no, never. Like I've never. And I thought maybe that's coping mechanism. That's great. Maybe it's true. And if so, that's amazing. Like that's awesome. But I thought it's important to recognize that that is the journey, right? And that the journey is, is different in that I think also as women, because sometimes like I'm not building the next Facebook, I'm building a beauty brand is that, you know, it can be viewed as superficial or trite or less of a business because of that. I can remember in the early days doing this for fun, doing this kind of like faux sharks tank thing. So it was like downtown Toronto on stage, you know, and it was me and two or three tech founders. I was the only woman, three guys. Anyways, I didn't win, which is fine. I, 
but they ended up giving a second award to like actually most likely to succeed, which was funny because I was like, well, if I'm most likely to succeed, you know, whatever. And they were like, no, we really believe in you because of your tenacity. Like you can really sell it. You could tell how passionate you are. Like you are a person who is going to succeed. But it was interesting. One of the judges said the reason why he was concerned about the business is he was like, like, do women really spend a lot of money on skincare? Like, is that really a big industry? Well, I was like, all the women who were in the audience were like, even like gas. Yeah. And everyone, and wow. It was in that moment that I was like, oh, wow. Like this guy was pretty senior at a VC firm, not in beauty, but to not have that insight. Right. And so it's even I picked an industry that can sometimes feel very gendered. And so there's, there's so many of those things. And so I think it's important to know that they're there. I think it's important to be equipped with the capability to deal with it verbally and to also not engage it when it's, when you don't want to. And I think there's definitely, when I think of what Ayurveda has taught me, like, it's funny where we're, we're getting ready for Black Friday. I can feel the stress palpitating through my body. And we so much, just like people join the team in the last couple of weeks. I've been working like more, more than usual. Yesterday morning, actually, and this is a very true story. I couldn't sleep and I woke up and I was like a little nervous inside. I was like, God, how am I going to manage this? Right. It's only Monday. And I went down and I got out my body oil and I did a little Abhyanga. And I was like, this is like, what I'm so proud about is that in creating this business, it's taken me deep into the journey of, of Ayurveda. And it's also like, we don't make, you know, those elements of the lifestyle or of the practice of Ayurveda being able to, I'm grateful that they, those have been brought into my life from starting this brand. And I think I've almost created what I needed, but also what I love about the brand is that it's serving those things to other people because it's, then it becomes more than a brand. It becomes about your, your wellness and your mental health. And so I think, you know, kind of talking a little bit in circles, but you know, when you ask the question, like, how do you deal with all of these things? I think you have to have so many things in your toolkit. You have to have the words to be able to talk back or fight back when you want to. You have to have the restraint to know which hill you want to die on and which one's worth your energy because sometimes they're just not worth it. And then the other thing is, is you have to have the practices in place for when it is going to be tough. Like it's, it can be really tough and it can be really lonely. And it was interesting when I heard that person spoke because one of the words he said was shame. And I really reflected on that. I thought, oh, I think I've felt shame in this journey. And that's a hard thing to reckon with. Yeah. So how do you then, how do you really foster that resilience? And maybe you've kind of answered that question already, but I really want to dig into this idea of resilience for a couple of reasons, because I do think it's so important for any entrepreneur who might be listening to this podcast. I think it's so important for anybody who works in any capacity, because we do need resilience in our work, right? And then balancing work with life, because right, we go back to that idea of Ayurveda says that everything in your life affects your health. And you just talked about that, you know, you had some, you know, nervousness yesterday and you went and you're like, it's Monday and you went to your Abhyanga practice, right? So how do you really foster that resilience? Do you think? What are some things that you would say for you personally, but even advice that you might give? Yeah, I think it's hard. And what I struggle with sometimes is that I'm not the poster child of it. Like Ayurveda has taught me a number of things. Am I, you know, there's some people you meet and they're so disciplined and like they don't miss a morning, whether it's of like tongue scraping or meditation. 
or they don't miss a workout or they don't miss any of those things. That's not me. I wish it was like, that's like, you know, any of the, if you read any of those books, like atomic habits or when, you know, people ask you, what's the gap between like who you want to be and who you are is like, I, I, you know, my goal is to have even more discipline, but I'm also a person who like achieves balance differently. And also, you know, is navigating a world where I'm running a business that I'm really proud of, but takes a lot of time. I do have two young kids. I have aging parents. I've, you know, got all these other things. And so how I build resilience, I think is one is being flexible with myself, I think is, is, and what I mean by that is, is like, sometimes like yesterday is a good example where I was up early. I was a little stressed out. I did my Amiga. I worked all day. And, and interestingly, I was meant to go into the office yesterday and I feel guilty. This is like a really weird story, but (laughs) I feel guilty sometimes because I think because I came from corporate background, but I even feel guilty like if the team's in the office and I'm not, rarely happens. It rarely happens because I feel like if they're there, I'm there. And yesterday, because I just got down to my computer early, I was like, makes sense for me to just stay here and keep working. Makes sense for me to just stay and keep working. And my daughter sings in a choir and my husband's been able to take her since school started, but it was the first day he couldn't. And I was like, I know I'm going to have to take a break later in the day. So I was like, it just makes sense for me to stay here to not engage the community. But even that I give myself a hard time for, because I feel like, well, the leaders you know, should be there. And if I expect other people to be there and we live in this work, like, I think the best thing you can do to build resilience is give yourself grace is to say, like, sometimes you need to do in that moment, what is the best thing for you to be successful? So if the best thing for you to be successful is to stay home, stay home. If the best thing for you to be successful is to take an afternoon off, take an afternoon off. It's interesting. Like as I, I talked to, you know, again, we're heading into Black Friday. I talked to our email provider this morning and I jokingly said to her, are you exhausted from Black Friday? And she's like, well, I wouldn't be lying if I didn't tell you that I took a 90 minute massage this weekend. <laughs> and and she said, and I binge watch TV because for all of our clients, it's just going to be like email after email after email and like change the timing and this is sold out and this. And, and it's like, we all have to do what we have to do to be healthy. And I think, you know, as you say, like Ayurveda has taught us like that the greatest gift we could do for do for ourselves is to nurture our health. And so whatever it is, like if you need to choose sleep over a workout, choose sleep over a workout. If you need to choose a night of binge watching TV because that satisfies your soul and it doesn't seem as cerebral as like reading a book before you go to bed, that is okay. That is okay. I think the best thing we can do, we live in a culture where everything has to be perfect. Your wellness has to be perfect. Your discipline has to be perfect. You, you know, have to, you know, meditate 20 minutes before you go to bed. And I encourage those things because they're really good habits, but you have to do what's right for you. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't take off in a book. Yeah. And, and I agree with everything you said, but the thread I want to pull here is this idea of awareness, because what you're talking about is building resilience, but it requires that you live with some kind of consciousness and awareness of yourself, which is all Ayurveda, right? I mean, so it's so much, and, and it's also so much what you have to do in I think in business, right? To be an entrepreneur, actually to work anywhere, you have to trust some intuition. It's, you know, I think there's this misconception that if you work for someone else at a, you know, what do you, I don't even know if you can call it this, a traditional job where you go in and you're working for somebody else that somehow, you know, you can just like, you know, go on autopilot. Okay. Maybe that, you know, to some extent might be true, but 
if you want to actually like really engage with the work you're doing and fulfill your dharma or, you know, find out what your dharma is, it's going to require more than just kind of showing up and, you know, doing the same thing over and over again on autopilot, right? There's this awareness that you're kind of, that I'm hearing from you that is required not just to be an entrepreneur and to build a new category of skincare and to be a woman of color in skincare and to really defy the norms and the stereotypes, but also to really succeed in this kind of a business as as an entrepreneur, you also have to tap into the intuition of when you need to do what for yourself, of like take care of yourself, right? And how to balance those things. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I remember that one of the first principles from your from your first book, which was like, you know, like increases like and opposites balance. And so there's lots of great ways of being able to make parallels with that. It's like like increases like. So like if we're working, you know, if we're working towards success, like, you know, if we're working in an environment that's like pushing us towards success, that like is going to increase like. But when you're stressed, like also increases like, right? And so it's like you need to be able to do those things. And so I think, you know, it is funny, actually, I was thinking today on Black Friday, I might book myself a facial on Black Friday. But the reason is because, you know, we live it like if I spend all of my evenings and days in front of a computer with like no touch and no self-care, there's there's no good that can come with that, with, right? Like, you know, s- someone asked me early on, like, what what was critical to you in having a successful business? And obviously in entrepreneurship, you measure yourself by the dollars and the orders, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, my business has to be rich with light. And that light comes from like helping others and doing things with for others and like really weaving light through my business. And my business has to really maintain the principles from which it's drawn. And so I'm not perfect at that, but like, you know, one of the things I offered my team this year was like, do a session with an Ayurvedic practitioner. I'll pay for it. Like learn. And if you take one thing from that, it could be so small. It could be, you know, drinking warm water. It could be something more, something like, I don't know if you ever do like the, I call it the buzzing bee, like meditation. It could that, or it could just be like, I should eat my breakfast looking out the window. If I've given that to my team, but if also Ayurveda is is like nourished into my business, that is important. Yeah. I Mm. just had an aha when you were talking and that you can actually apply the golden principle of Ayurveda of like increases like and opposites reduce to entrepreneurship and business. I've never thought about it that way, that you can actually Within the things that you're doing, if you can have that awareness and say, so for example, you know, we always say that like surround yourself by the kinds of people that you're aspiring to be, right? The people that vibrate at a high energy level, you want to be around those kinds of people. You don't want to be around negative. And that's, that's for anybody in any walk of life at any stage of life, right? And so, yes, like increases like. So when you're an entrepreneur on this journey, you want to be around people who are positive and who are really, really cheering you on, right? And at the same time, like increases like what you said, that if you are anxious and filled with anxiety, just like increases like of like staying in front of the computer, it's all it's going to do is increase that anxiety. And so why not do something opposite, right? And do an Abhayanga massage or step outside for walk or, you know, and so you're actually like literally applying it to your business. And so it could even probably... And I thinking about this on the fly, like as we're talking, but I bet you could even apply this like quite literally into like 
the mechanics of business. Oh, it's funny, 100%. And it's funny that we both have, like, I've never used those words until I said it because I was looking at when I was thinking about like increases like, I think that like my dad used to say to me, like, if you want to be a genius, take a genius out for lunch because you need to learn person. And I, and I do think that like, if you're like, I, I was telling you before we got onto this call, like I've brought in these new advisors into my business and they've really brought so much to the business and the business is better. So like increases like, right? Like the, the, even just things that I'm learning, but to that end, like I, that end, I think that of all the things in business, right? It's like, if you do apply that Ayurvedic golden law, as I, as I'm thinking about it too, like it can help you in decision-making. Like, should I do this? Well, is it similar to what has been making me successful? Yes. Should I do this? Well, it isn't. And maybe it's out of the box and sometimes you have to take a chance. But if you think about it, right? Like, is this practice like, and there's a time where you have to defy the odds, right? Like what I mean by that is like, you're super stressed, but you've got a deadline. You know, maybe that's not the time to like, go get a facial. Like I, I, I acknowledge that, right? Like I acknowledge that leading to your success. But, but I think that sort of golden that sort of golden lot, that principle that you can, you still, I often describe Ayurveda to people is what I love about it is it says that you have a role to play in the proactive management of your health. You have a role to play. Like you're not waiting for bad health to happen to you. You know, you have a role to play and there's other things, right? We know genetics are at play and we know the environment are at play, all of those things, but you have a role. And so in that same way, as we're talking this through, I'm like, yeah, I have a role to play and I struggle because sometimes I do get those nervous feelings or sometimes I have this, these feelings of overwhelm. And, you know, I'm not saying you should manage it by the opposite of hiding it from it. And so like, you know, go out for a night on the town, but you should say to yourself, like, what do I need to do? Because you can't fill from an empty cup. So what do I need to pour into that cup so that I can do what I need to do to be successful? Right. Yeah. All of the things just- you Yeah, all the things you just said. And we can actually, you know, relate this back to the story you told us earlier of not engaging in that negativity on the soccer field, like increases like, like if you had decided in that moment, like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. Like, what does he think he's doing? Right? Again, there's a time for that. But I think maybe what you're saying and what I'm thinking about is that there is this trust of this intuition of awareness, because there are going to be instances when you do need to address that, right? And you're doing the opposite or you're doing the, you know, the like increases like, but it is actually in your best interest, right? And that's going to come from that awareness of just doing it again and again and again and again, right? Because it's not like you should, like you said, like, you know, (laughs) if you're on a deadline, go get a facial, right? So my next question then would be like, how do you how do you nurture that intuition in business? How have you done that? Because again, I'm going to come back to this idea that you created a new category in a business that is dominated by men and by white women, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to name it. So many of our close friends are. So if anyone is listening, it's not from a point of disparagement. Not at all. Point- not at mm-hmm. all. Exactly. But like, you know, you have a couple more hurdles. How did you how did you trust that intuition? How did you develop it? I think it's interesting. And Sahajan comes from the word Sahaja, which means intuitive. Um, mm. so this, there's always been an intuitive element to this business. But I think, you know, there's one thing, like when I started this, we were early. You know, I'll be totally honest. I think, you know, now the time has come, but I was early and I could see it. I could see it unfolding around me, right? I could see people embracing yoga. I could see that people, you know, during the pandemic, it was like nobody could, people couldn't put turmeric in 
enough into their foods, into their lives. They were popping it as a pill. They were adding it to their soups. Like I could see it unfolding. And so I think I had to trust my instinct that I was, I was sitting with something. And then I think there's an element of following your intuition, which is that, you know, sometimes past behavior is the best predictor of future success or future behavior, right? So it's like, okay, I, if, as you say, if you exercise the muscle of asking yourself critical questions, then that intuition becomes quicker and it becomes more, more stable and it becomes, you know, intuition, but it's actually data-driven intuition, right? It's like, done this. I know this works or I've done this. And it's interesting because there have been times in my life where I have certainly in this, this business where sometimes you feel vulnerable or you feel like I'm not getting there fast. And and someone comes and says, I think you should turn this corner. I think you should change it to this. And you feel so tempted because you're like, maybe they know something I don't, but you have to go back what your intuition says and what's going to work. Right. And so it's a hard muscle to train. And I think that's actually the muscle of going inward. One thing that I don't, do you do creative pages? Like the morning pages? The morning pages? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting because I have a friend who does them too, and I've been on and off. But, and I said to her when she first convinced me to do them, so morning pages are this idea. It comes from, I forget what the book is called. The, the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Yeah, they are way. It's like a brown book with red edging. And they talk about these morning pages. And it's the idea that you have to write these three pages in the morning, but free flow thinking. And I remember the first person who told me about it. And I was like, what if you don't have anything to say? And she was like, well, then I just write like I'm sitting here in the closet and the kids are asleep and it's really dark. And I wish I wasn't up this early. And she just like writes and she does all these things. She said, when I do that, I actually figure out so many things for my business. I think out so many things for my kids. I think... And so I think when you ask the question, like, how do you build that intuition is actually working through it in flow and whatever that flow is, it could be journaling. So doing morning pages through journaling, it could be meditating. It could be getting on your bike and like cycling the, you know, the sweat right out of you and like using that as your mechanism to think it could be going for a long walk, but you've got to do something. It could be cooking, it could be something, but you've got to do something that lets you process those feelings. I think one of the things that I've noticed myself is when I felt the most blocked, but also the the least resilient or the most vulnerable or the most anxious, it's when I've realized I haven't created a process to both expel the emotions that are making me nervous or to process exactly what's going on. Yeah, that digestive piece of Ayurveda. Oh my God, I love, I mean, I have so many light bulbs going off. Yes. Can we do, or actually, can we do a, a new book that's called like Avanti and Lisa's yes. I Applied to Entrepreneurship? I, I, yes. I mean, like you literally are pulling so many threads and like all these ahas, because that is like processing. Like what you're talking about is, you know, doing creative, you know, those morning pages as a way to actually mm-hmm. process and digest the emotions, the thoughts, the ideas, right? That is mm-hmm. so much a part of Ayurveda. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my God, this is so cool. But so really, I know we're coming up on time. So I want to, you know, I think that the ideas that you gave about how to develop your intuition are so, so incredibly important. And so where does your intuition tell you about mm-hmm. where skincare and wellness and Ayurveda, the intersection of however you want to you know, think about it, mm-hmm. where is it going? What is your intuition telling you? My intuition is telling me like, 
Like it's all blow. Like it, we're just on the cusp of what it's going to become. And the reason is because look at what we've done in this conversation. Neither of us walked into this conversation with anticipation that we were going to apply Ayurveda to entrepreneurship, that we were going to apply Ayurveda to mental resilience, that we were going to apply it to all these things. But look at how easily it applies. And we're in an environment where there are awful things going on in the world that we're trying to, you know, that the world needs to manage, but also as individuals, like people have their, our lives are heavy and we're processing so much and we're seeking wellness, but in digestible ways. And we want, like people want to go clean with their skincare, but they also want to look amazing, right? Like, like nobody wants to go clean, but still have acne. Nobody wants to go clean with their skincare and but feel like they look dull or tired. And so we're all craving this. And I think Ayurveda and wellness is offering us, like it's, I think it's just the gateway for us to get where we want to go. And what I love about it is, is people don't have to go very deep into it to really benefit from it. And so my instinct is that you and I are going to write a piece about. I think we are. <laughs> I, I have a feeling we'll be talking about that when we turn record, when we stop, yeah. when we hit, yeah, stop. So my, my intuition is that like, we, we have, we've only scratched the surface. Like when you talk about like some of the holistic and integrative practitioners who've really, you know, got, got a big voice right now in this, like, that not just that our voices will be alongside them, but but that what they're talking about and the reason why it's so important, but it's yet to even get bigger, but it's because people want it, right? We all want it. We all want to be well. Yeah. Yeah. And so what does your intuition say about what's next for Sahajan? Thank you. Uh, you know, what's interesting is this podcast has just given me some peace, but you know, what's next for Sahajan is, you know, just great growth in all of those ways. So do I want the business to grow? Absolutely. Do I need it to grow? Absolutely. I've got, you know, I've got kids that need to eat, but, but, um, but I want it to grow in a very meaningful way, in a very meaningful way. And, you know, today I was talking to my new, to someone new on our team who's responsible for digital. And I was telling him that I wanted to, you know, maybe, maybe we, you know, maybe we, like I was saying all these things, maybe we send people like, you know, five, tips. I was just saying all these different things we could do about Ayurveda. And he kept saying, what does that have to do about skincare? And I was like, I know that we're selling skincare, but if I don't give people this insight, then we're not doing our foundation justice. Absolutely. We're selling skincare. And people tell me every day that they get their best skin from us. But if I can give them that, but then also say, here's a way I can support you on your journey to wellness, then we'll really be successful. Mm -hmm. So that's my intuition is telling me is that we're going to grow, but we're going to grow in the number of people who use the products, but also the number of people we touch along the way. I love that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good place for us to wrap up our conversation today. Although I have so many more questions, but we'll do it another time. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot to think about. I think we're going to do another podcast on this, this whole idea of applying oh. the golden principle of Ayurveda to business mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship. We have to think about mm-hmm. that a little bit. Those are some mm-hmm. ahas that what? happen. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I admire you so much. I am always cheering for you. I love your products. You know, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that. Yeah. I'm just so grateful to you. Thank you. So grateful to you too. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. 
I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.